One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm, just a I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Rested, relaxed, and revved up to bring you a midsummer fix at the Second Captain's Football Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you, back from his holidays, Ken Erty. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? Good to see you. That was Mark with two bits of a, it was sort of half of a round of applause. We are glad to see you, Ken. We are so glad to see you. Did you miss us? No. Not at all? No, I really didn't miss you. You WhatsApp quite a bit towards the end of the trip. It's like you always start missing home a bit towards the end. No, I, I think it was just whatever was on the... I mean, I was looking at the WhatsApp, obviously, just pretending... I mean, Simon texted me at one point asking me, you know, for... He, he was like, oh, we're looking for someone to talk about this. What do you think? And I just didn't respond. He said, Simon sent you a very specifically work-related WhatsApp. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't respond. And then um, my pocket texted him a while later then I said sorry I don't know what that was <laughs> and, and I didn't feel guilty about that at all no I don't think you have to feel guilty about it I, I feel you know if there's a very urgent work related matter get in touch with mm. the person on holidays but I feel just the who to talk to on a specific topic is something between the four of us we should have been able to handle that Simon's gone rogue there Ken I've got to apologise for him disturbing yeah. your what was it presumably you were by the poolside is that the vibe well uh do you want to? Do you want yeah, to know tell us. I want to know. Ken already does it on his holidays. So I went to Venice. Yeah. Have you ever been there? I was in Venice. Yeah. The, it's it, it reminded me. The place it reminded me of most was Las Vegas. Yeah, it's a weird place. It look. It's like a fiction. It's like a really high spec Vegas casino. Yeah. Designed to look exactly like Venice. My, and, except it actually is. It's kind of weird. Yeah. My, that's my wife said that as well. We got there. We were a little disappointed, Ken. I, that mm. sounds like the. <laughs> oh, we're a bit disappointed with Go the trip on, to Owen. Venice. Well, <laughs> First world woes. What was it that. about? Literally the most beautiful, yeah. the most beautiful city I've ever seen. That looks like it's been made up out of a computer. Because generated. it looks like it's been made up out of a computer generated image. It felt like a movie set, is what is what Rebecca said. I yeah. had to not give my wife's name there. I'm sure I can I can give Rebecca's uh, name. It's probably be all right. And she just we the two of us were a bit. Unsure, but I mean, don't get me wrong, the gondola ride was amazing. You did take a gondola ride. I didn't, though, and it was 80 euros, so I decided to take a pass. On well, that. that's a fixed price to so that they don't gouge each other out price-wise. Yeah. They, fi- I they fixed it, was, it at 80. I thought, mm, I thought fix that pricey. price a little lower. Fix it lower. Fix it at 40, and you might have a, you might have a customer in Ken. You can walk around. I mean, it's, it's basically the same as being in a gondola. Yeah. Uh, you get to look around. I mean, apparently, Venice is being uh, gutted by Airbnb. Um, the... It's it's so there's so many tourists there. 
I've never actually seen so many, specifically American tourists, anywhere. You would walk down the street in New York City and not hear as many American accents. That's the other issue. Not an anti-American thing, but I did find that it was just too crowded everywhere again. What's that big bridge? Uh, uh, Rialto. Was that it? Yeah. The Rialto Bridge is kind of main one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I I did feel I was going to get knocked off that by, it was actually a lot of Japanese tourists at the time that I was there and they were really, really fixated on getting the perfect photo, you know, to the detriment. Didn't matter what human life they lay waste to while getting that. They were barging me around. I'm talking 78 year olds again. Yeah. And and that frightened me greatly. So you are always, wherever you are, Vince, always walking through the frame of someone's photograph (laughs) because they, they're trying to take photos like uh, looking over a bridge or selfie have have taken off in a big way. I mean, it, it was it was amazing. It's it's an incredible place. If you've ever been there, um, if you've never been there, it's it's worth going to see. So that uh, then you can have a conversation like we're having now, where you go, "Oh, Venice isn't all it's cracked up to be." You know. Well, I don't know what I was expecting. I mean, I was expecting pretty much, I suppose, what I got. Just I couldn't believe a how how uh, beautiful it was. B, I was like, "What does anyone actually live here?" And apparently, the answer is not anymore. Uh, they used to, but now uh, there are people staying in their Airbnb uh, apartments. Uh, so nobody lives there, but they do make a lot of money from their. Uh, oh, I think so. Homes. I think I think Venice has Venice has been making money uh, <laughs> since uh, since the very beginning. So where to from Venice? And then I went to I got the ferry over to Pula in Croatia, nice. and uh, hung out there, on in the shadow of the ancient Colosseum of Pula, which is literally a Colosseum. Nearly as big as the Coliseum, uh, and uh, and hung hung out a bit there, and then went to to a footballer style villa high in the hills, <laughs> where I then hung out for the remaining time with my family. Sounds nice. It was it was great. I mean, it was really it was really good. I was I relaxed a great deal. I forgot about the world and its cares. Well, I didn't entirely forget about it. I was trying to read some books and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Then I started looking at Twitter again towards the end. And I just reconnected thought, too early. Oh my God, Twitter is so depressing. Everyone, my Twitter is just every, people tearing strips off each other. It's just, oh, look at this moron who wrote this stupid thing. Screw you. Fake news. <laughs> everyone is accusing everyone of being fake news. Uh, you know, people, there's a lot of bad, bad, negative dreary, dismal, soul-sapping stuff that I had to wade through on Twitter. Ah, that's positive stuff out there as well. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I was I was scrolling down through just this uh, recrimination, bitterness, um, all, all of this nasty stuff, and then suddenly a tweet from a man who's rapidly on becoming one of my favorite people, not just in the game, the beautiful game, but in the world. Big Sam's on Twitter? No. Uh, it was young Harry Kane. Owen. She said yes, Harry Kane tweets, with a photograph of him proposing to his now fiance uh, on the beach. I mean, they obviously had someone along to take the photograph. Uh, but I thought, I almost own welled up. I just thought, Harry Kane is such a nice young man. He, you know, what a great, what a great guy he is. He's flourishing in the world. He's giving it everything. You know, he's doing real well in his vocation. Now he's he's found love as well. He's making an honest woman of that woman. I <laughs> smile on Harry Kane and his works. He's like the sun that shines. Above. I thought we can all be a bit more like this man, Harry Kane. 
Uh, he was the one, I don't know if it was just the context that made me feel so sentimental about it, but I, I just want to say, I just want to extend my best wishes, my very best wishes for the wedding and for the future to the Canes. Well, Harry Kane and his, I don't know his wife's name, or I'd say it, uh, his, his soon-to-be wife, but congratulations. Harry Kane also produced, previous to that, one of the viral sensation tweets of the summer. Um, this this summer? Yeah, just a few weeks ago. No, the, I mean, the last Harry Kane social media post I was aware of was the Lions one that Jamie Vardy took the piss out, out of after Tottenham ended up oh, blowing it yeah, in the 2016. Yeah. Well, this one was also animal-related. He tweeted a photograph of himself with the caption, um, enjoying myself holidaying with the family or catching up with the family or something like that. And it's a photograph of him feeding some giraffes. That's Peter Crouch. Oh, that was Peter Crouch. That was That's Peter the Crouch. entire gag. I did. I did. <laughs> Harry Kane's not quite as tall as Peter Crouch. No, I did see. I did see Peter Crouch's one, oh, and no. I did think that was that was quite funny. That was quite funny, but uh, not the, if Harry Kane had done it, it would just have been a bit <laughs> strange. strange. No, <laughs> come on, Harry, don't be. You're a well-proportioned man. He, he still would have got a few thousand retweets because yeah, if people would have been like, something. Funny. And I, I probably would have retweeted yeah, him. I'm just like, I, I just like his positive attitude. Thanks, everyone, everybody, everyone of our World Service members who got in touch about the chat with Michael Calvin last Friday. Michael's put together a serious body of work in the last few years, some amazing football books in particular. His latest one is called No Hunger in Paradise. It looks at the very dark world, often, of youth football in England. He told us some harrowing enough stories of how some of the kids get treated by coaches, parents, agents, and all that as they as they chase their dream from a very young age. It really hit home, actually, just how young we're talking uh, when he relayed this anecdote. One of the guys at the FA, Nick Levitt, who's their national talent ID manager. You know, he taught, told a story of when he was a coach at Fulham and they took the under-9s away. Oh, sorry, the under-10s away. Big European tournament. The coaches did all the planning, you know, they worked out the end. They analysed some of the you know, footage of the under-10s, you know, the final under-10s or whoever they were playing. But the reality of what they were dealing with was when they had the, the, you know, the routine bed check at the end of the evening. Two of the boys, two of the players, had teddy bears on their pillow. The third boy slept in a nappy. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, Michael Calvin on the World Service last Friday. A fairly uncomfortable listen at times, but I think it was quite enlightening for for me anyway, in terms of shining a light on the kind of stuff that goes on even now. Uh, in a, you would think would be a bit, bit more of an enlightened age as to how to treat young kids growing up and trying to be professional footballers. If you want to hear that in full, you know the drill, secondcaptains.com to become a World Service member for five euro a month plus VAT. We haven't heard the report on sport jingle for a couple of weeks. One of those negative, those subjects that elicit a lot of negative tweets, Ken, I'm going to guess in your timeline on holidays was what, VAR, video system. No, it didn't. You managed, to, you managed to avoid that. Nobody said anything to me about VAR. Mainly if, if people treated me at all, they were saying, why do you never play in these games? Why do you never play in these games when the second captain's team uh, is photographed uh, preparing for what was the... The Fair Play Cup. The Fair Play Cup. World Refugee Day, yeah. And uh, I wasn't there. Uh, I didn't even recognise everyone in the photo. <laughs> I was like, who are, who are these people? Well, there were quite a few recognisable faces. Okay? You had Richie Sadler in there. World former uh, middleweight champion Andy Lee. Andy Lee was there, yeah. You had Alan Cawley, another high-level footballer. You yes. Quite a few. There'd be a couple of people who you mightn't be familiar with. I the, saw Oshin McConville. Oshin McConville there, yeah. Armagh sharpshooter. Good, good striker, actually. He 
took up the reins up front once Richie inevitably went off after one game <laughs> injured. Richie, Richie dug out a victory. I don't know if you remember our, our crushing defeats over the last two seasons to Mosny, Ken. Yeah. The lovely lads there have beaten us on penalties and then in, I think, a 2-1 semi-final defeat last year. They keep knocking us out in the knockout stage. We got them in a group of death. First game, yeah. got Mosny. Went 1-0 down. Then Richie started being a professional footballer. Yeah. Got us a goal. Got us an assist. Walked off with a hamstring strain, never to return. Oh, no. So Ushin took up the reins. Got a couple of goals for us. I think his yes, tra- well, skills were transferable. A lovely the day. Nose, you know, it's all about the nose. It's not about the code. No. You know. Um, so do, did you win? No, we we got through the group with two wins and a creditable draw. Yeah. We drew against a team from Sari, Sport Against Racism Ireland. Uh, you always know how the game has gone you wouldn't have had to watch the previous 15 minutes if you just watched the reaction at the full time whistle this is our second group game it was nil all and we celebrated like we'd won the whole competition and they celebrated <laughs> furious that they hadn't managed to convert one of their six or seven chances but we regrouped after that one or third group game yeah. three nil yeah. so we went into the knockout phase on the back of only conceding one goal in the entire group and we only conceded one goal in the quarterfinals unfortunately we didn't score any Scoring so then we went out one nil to Limerick uh, team beaten from by the one nil. We were beaten by the best. Well, fair play to you, and it sounds like a sounds like you did reasonably yeah. well. Yeah, it was a um, good day. On the on the subject, while we mentioned Harry Kane of of um, social media posts, Harry Kane definitely did mean to put that one up. Uh, Mesut Ozil is currently at the centre of a storm, Owen. a confusing storm, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really understand what's happening in this. Um, in this uh, story, uh, but one way or the other, he, he he's put up a photo of himself on his Instagram with the uh, caption, "I know I have it screwed, it Mandy, sad looking face, but we'll always love you." And he's holding a woman in his in his arms, kind of carrying her, and then he says, "My Instagram account has been hacked. My team and I are working on it." Uh, it appears, anyway, this isn't the woman he's seeing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he then put up a, a photo with that woman saying, as you may have seen, my account was hacked this evening. Thanks to my team and Instagram for assisting me today in getting back control of my Instagram. Sorry to the media, but it's time to kill the stories and false headlines now. The story is fake news. Oh. Uh, and, and he's there with what I can only imagine is his official girlfriend. Uh, so... Who knows how something like that could have happened? Uh, what with the uh, what with the post the the sort of post uh, Instagram and DM buttons being so close to each other, it can often be confusing, and people can sometimes end up getting hacked. Well, at least yeah, the story has been killed, which is good. Uh, the story's over. It's, it's not an important story, but it is the middle of the summer. And there's no oh, hang on, oh, there is football going on. There was the whole Confederations Cup, which just came to an end yesterday. Yeah, that's why I was asking about the you were asking about the video assistant referees. Ah, is it VAR, V-A-R, Video Assistant Referee? Yeah, V-A-R. V-A-R. That's what I'm going for. Um, so there was this... <laughs> football, it's, it doesn't seem to be going well in football. From what I've can, from what i seen of it so far, they're making a mess of this. Uh, I mean, the first use of it, I think, in, was it the, f- the first use was the France-Spain match, a friendly a little while ago. Um and there, and it actually turned out to be really important in that game. <clears throat> Excuse me. It disallowed one goal uh, and gave a penalty. I think was the, you know, the two sort of big decisions that it, that it affected. And both decisions were, it looked, you know, correct, and they wouldn't have happened if it had not been for the 
VAR. So you could see the sort of benefits there. But there have been all kinds of instances in the Confederations Cup of, um, I mean, for instance, in one, uh, a referee actually looked at the review and then went and booked the wrong player. And they were like, no, you booked the wrong player. And he had to go back and look at it again. And only on the second time did he notice that he had misidentified the player the first time. So it kind of shows that watching replays doesn't necessarily mean everybody will see the same thing. And this happened in the uh, game between Chile and Germany, uh, the final, which was 1-1-0 by Germany. Um, Gonzalo Jara, the Chilean player, elbowed one of the Germans squarely in the jaw. Timo Werner, wasn't it? Uh, was it Werner? Um, I'm not, I, to be honest, I don't know who, which uh, player it was. I was watching the game, but I don't know who it was. Uh, he cracked him on the jaw. It was pretty obvious. Um, it's the kind of thing you might get away with. You'd be like, well, that happened at, at full speed. Did it look like an elbow? Slow down on the replay. It definitely looked like an elbow. Yeah, and particularly given the context that there'd been a bit of a fracas a couple of minutes before. I'm almost certain it was Werner because he was the same player who'd been involved with Bravo. There'd been uh, a little bit of tasty stuff going on. It was getting a bit niggly anyway. Mm. And then suddenly you see Yara closing in down the wing. Perfect opportunity to throw in a reducer, which he managed to do with his elbow. And then the referee says, oh, hang on, something's happened there, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to go over and consult with... I'm going to have a look at the replays on the mm. screen that I have by the side of the pitch, which is a good call. I think mm. that's the, re- the reason it's there. He has a look at it. Presumably the boffins are looking at it upstairs, the assistant yeah. referees, in their little box. Presumably. But nobody knows, because nobody knows, do they make the decision and tell him what it is? Does he make the decision based on what he's looking at? Yeah. Somehow he comes back and issues, sees that, yes, an elbow has occurred, and gives a yellow card for an elbow to the face. Yeah. Which is not the... It didn't make any sense. It was like, okay, you've you've done something wrong there. However, uh, I still can't make up my mind whether you meant to do it. (laughs) So have a yellow card. You know, that seemed to be the logic. But again, we don't know what the logic was because they don't allow you to hear. FIFA just hates the idea of transparency so much. It's just so allergic to the idea of transparency that it just, it recoils from it, uh, even in the most obvious cases where it would in fact save them a lot of grief. There's also such an easy way around the delay there. The, in rugby, and I know people, football fans often don't like people harping on about rugby as the example of how to do things. And sometimes it isn't. But in this case, it certainly has a much smoother way of running this. And maybe football will catch up in the next little while. A very simple aspect of this is for foul play, if, you, if you're the referee in that case, do what they do in rugby and ask the referee, the video referee to have a look at it. Mm. It'll call upstairs, go, can you have a look at that number two, Chile, whoever, whatever number it was, um, possible foul play. They'll have a look as the play is going on mm. and then they'll make it. The, and they only need one person up there because the more people, the less likely they are to come to a clear decision. Mm. One person up there, he then goes down and says, yeah, that's a red card, it's an elbow and a red card or no, nothing happened at all and you can just play away and not lose any time. It's... It, these are teething difficulties, I suppose, mm. but it's kind of embarrassing that it's not that they're not more familiar with how to work this system. And as you're saying, how to it's terrible for the viewer because you have no idea what's going on, which mm. is never good in anything, really. Yeah, it just seems as though they could actually save themselves a lot of trouble here by allowing everybody to to hear the conversation between the referee and the other referees, yeah. uh, because. You know, if you don't even know what's happening, number one, it's kind of boring. Yeah, you're kind it's of just why is it taking so long? Why is the referee running around ridiculously? You know, he, he uh, and 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 then you see it happening, and you're like, well, it's clear what's happened there. And then some mystifying opposite decision is announced, and nobody is any clearer as to why it's happened. So it actually creates more sort of 
annoyance and irritation than the original unpunished <laughs> or unspotted incident would have caused. And uh, Leon Osman making a point about this um, made the point, which I think is a, is a reasonable point, that look, once you, even if you say limit the incidents that this can be used in, like say, if it only has to do with goals or, you know, penalties and stuff like this, um, defenders will appeal every single goal. Every single time they'll be like, no, 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 there was a foul, there was a foul. And he's making the point, look, in, in 10, 15, 20% of goals, there is a foul. Something has happened, which if you were to be very pedantic about it, might cause you to rule out the goal, you know? Yeah. Um, if, and, and obviously the logic of having um, a video assistant referee is that you are going to be pedantic because it gives you the opportunity to punish fouls that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. Mm. So, the, so the tendency is to become more pedantic. So he reckons it will cause a drop in the number of goals scored. Well, again, in rugby, it's only for serious foul play out the field. It's not for every last thing. And obviously, if it's for if there's a try score. Any, it, any kind of anything. dubious try. Yeah, any dubious try you can check. And you, and can you, check do, you do see it, the thing, that, there are, that there are tries which the referee would just gone, I think that's probably a try, and given it. And now it's like, well, there's no obvious downward pressure on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's probably true. The other incident last night involved Alexis Sanchez falling over in the box and then the Chile players appealing en masse for the referee to go and have a look at it. Was that the one where Vidal knocked the ball immediately over the bar? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was that one. It was towards the end of the game. Yeah. And, and you can see them crowding around him and then the referee does go and have a look and that's that's the other issue players now have two avenues of appeal they can appeal emotively as they always have done to the referee appeal to the emotive part of his brain and then when he says no it's still not a penalty they can appeal to the logical side of his brain and say well can't you at least have a look at it on the technology there buddy do you have any idea what's going to happen to you after this game (laughs) if you don't because you know you're completely wrong and then he has to check it well I wasn't wrong but you know he has to check it because the worry is that if he decides not to consult and something did happen, then he's the one who ends up looking um, like an idiot. So what do you think? Do you think that they are, that these problems all get fixed? Or Diddy Hamann's big point in this is, look, it's obviously you've already got goal line technology, that's fine. You should use this for offside. Hmm. If you can work better camera angles, because as he said, a lot of times at the moment you're watching it and you can't tell for definite because the angle isn't always uh, level to the last man. He said the technology should be there for you be, to be able to make a clear decision on whether a player is offside or not mm. but on anything more subjective he thinks it just doesn't work yeah well I, it's 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 obviously difficult and there are so many there are so many little gray areas where you could start having to use it um and it could and, and i think the way they're doing it is just is is wrong at the moment the referee himself is too involved way too involved yeah, yeah. and it, it kind of makes him look foolish in a way Running around this small figure, running around a big stadium, like over to some screen, by this, you know, it's just silly looking, um, and and also it's not transparent in terms of what spectators, because it is ultimately something for the spectators, you know what I mean? It's it's for it's a it's a technology that is available as a result of TV. It is designed really for the people who are watching the game. Uh, you might as well fill them in on the details of what's happening. Anyway, look, you know. I'm sure we'll be talking about it many more times. <laughs> so, uh, Germany obviously have, have won the Confederations Cup, also the Under-21 Championships. I don't know if you saw A.D. Boothroyd, the defeated England manager, England defeated in the penalties, or, or in the semis, rather, on penalties to Germany. What was his reaction? Well, despite having practiced, they basically their entire training was just practicing penalties. <laughs> <laughs> and they still lost. Um, there was one consolation, though, 
the German goalkeeper Pollersbeck um, saved two penalties out of six in total because uh, England missed them. They both missed one in the shootout and then England missed their sudden death penalty but pulled notes out of his sock and started waving the notes around. He was like looking at the notes and then looking intently at the approaching penalty taker and sort of looking back at the notes and looking back at the penalty, you know, and it was this psychological warfare. Um, Eddie Boothroyd said, well, you know, because everyone was like, well, look, the Germans had notes. They're, that's next level. And Boothroyd was like, well, you know, we actually showed the players it on an iPad. So I think technologically, actually, we had the edge there. Um, <laughs> Says defeated England coach. Defeated England coach. But again, we are absolutely gutted, sick of losing on penalties after going so close. Um, <clears throat> that obviously wasn't the final. Germany beat Spain in the final. Weirdly, Saul, the Atletico player, who was like a um, midfielder, uh, finished the top scorer by miles with five goals. Um, um, but Germany have won that. Germany won the Confederations Cup. Uh, they're very pleased with themselves at the moment. Yogi Love is still the manager. Yogi Love has been there like nearly as long as Angela Merkel. Actually longer if you count his period as assistant. And appears now to be going for a Ferguson-style eternal reign. You know what I mean? And I wonder, is, is, are they beginning to actually see benefits of that? Usually the idea is... Well, after a certain point, it goes a bit stale. The players don't want to listen. But actually, he's now been there for like gener two generations of top German players. And is I wonder if you, if you begin to actually sort of see a payoff after... You know the way Ferguson is always saying this anyway, but it's just a way of saying managers should never get sacked because I'm in the League Managers Association. But actually, if you, if you are in a job for 10 or more years, whether you start to get a kind of authority that you know, is, is kind of not normal for a manager. Um, seems to go well for Love. The question he has is which of these 50 players, 50 potential World Cup players he chooses for the World Cup next year. Uh, again, Owen, plenty of time to talk about that World Cup. Uh, Germany's still very good at football. The countdown starts here. Traditional summer story of Jose Mourinho. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think it is? It's, it's July, so what's the Jose Mourinho story about? It's the start of pre-season. I'll give you one more hint, Owen. Yeah. Ask yourself how many players Manchester United have signed. Oh, so he's giving out about not having signed enough players. Yet. Well, he's, I wouldn't say he was giving out, Owen. No, he is talking about the media speculation. Oh, around. fake news. Someone is talking a lot of nonsense. No, uh, I would say uh, that a close friend of his, or somebody described uh, in Duncan Castle's column as a close friend, says, nothing is being done for signings. Looks as though old Ed Woodward is back up to his old tricks. And if by his old tricks we mean the summer of 2013 tricks in which uh, Ed Woodward seemed to dither in the transfer market, uh, resulting in the last day signing of Marwan Fellaini for four million more pounds than was in his release clause mm -hmm. if they'd gone to him a bit early in the season and nobody else. <clears throat> so the only player that United have signed so far is the young uh, Swedish central defender Lindelof from Benfica, highly regarded young player, could be a mainstay of the team for years to come. At the same time, is a young Swedish defender. Where are all the other signings? We haven't uh, seen any signings yet. There's, They have been linked on to a certain Brazilian superstar forward. Can you guess which one? Uh, who? Who's the player that Edward Wood and Manchester United are usually linked with in those dry summer weeks? This time they've promised to meet his 174 million release clause. 
I buy some. I mean, you yeah, should have got the answer to this by now. <laughs> gonna say. Top one. Gonna go for Neymar Jr. Neymar Jr. Um, but uh, I don't expect Neymar Jr. necessarily to be. To be. He was over at the wedding of Lionel Messi. Did you see the, the Messi was had the wedding of the century in in Argentina. Um, all the Barcelona players, not Guardiola, none of the coaches, in fact, from recent times, but uh, all the players, none of the directors. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of teammates and, and so on. Um, whether he'll be joining Manchester United, I'll believe it when I see it, um, but uh, it appears as though there could be some tensions there. If We'll watch that one, because this is, this is remember, what happened to Chelsea, uh, where they didn't sign as many players as Mourinho would have liked, and he began to make the point, which I can see in this Duncan Castles article, is being made. I gave Ed Woodward a dossier. Similarly, he'd given Chelsea in April a list of the players that he wanted, and someone hadn't done their job uh, because those players hadn't arrived. And if the preseason is starting now, um, they'd really want to have made these signings already, so we will see how that uh, how that one goes. I can't imagine how it's going to turn out. Uh. Do you want to give us one more transfer story before we... John Terry's gone to Birmingham, or gone to, sorry. Well, he has gone to Birmingham. He's gone to Aston Villa. Gone to the city of Birmingham. Um, that's because the uh, Villa owner actually tweeted, Welcome JT to Birmingham City. Aston Villa! I think he's trying to troll ah. Birmingham City there, because it is welcome to Birmingham City, the city of Birmingham, Aston Villa. The city is ours. So John Terry uh, is going to be in the in the championship, I guess. Um, Was that is that's partially out of choice though? No, he, he couldn't face having to play against Chelsea in the Premier League. Well, he hasn't said that. I mean, that would be very funny if that was the reason he gave. I didn't. I didn't join. You know. Bournemouth or Swansea or whoever else. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying those clubs are interested in John Terry, uh, but because I couldn't bear to play against Chelsea twice a season, I would be a little bit surprised if that was true. Uh, but he's gone to Villa anyway. Um, there, there's a few transfer things I should mention them. Uh, it, uh, Arsenal seem to have got Lacazette, the Lyon player, uh, for 67 million euros total, so 55 million euros plus, plus 12 which means that Everton are now supposedly interested in signing Olivier Giroud, uh, who may not have... Well, unless they're going to play him, and like I said, which could easily be done. Um, maybe he's not going to play too many more... T- I mean, given that he spent a lot of last season on the bench anyway. Um, Everton, who are expected to lose Lukaku, might uh, pick him up. Everton have actually signed lots of interesting players uh, so far. Davy Klaassen from Ajax, Jordan Pickford, the goalkeeper from, uh, from Sunderland, Sandro Ramirez from Malaga they've actually they've been having a very good transfer window um, uh, which is something we might return to and Gilfie Sigurdsson is another player they're trying to sign Michael Keane who for a long time is being linked to the return to Manchester United is expected to be announced as another Everton player today so it's the uh, biggest show from Everton in the transfer market for well probably about 30 years so um, yeah that's got to be good John Terry rejected Premier League interest to avoid facing Chelsea says Swansea City manager Paul Clement. You're, so, you're actually Yeah, while he has... No, I, I did think that I'd, I'd read a little bit about this. These words have never come from John Terry's mouth, but yeah. over the course of your holidays in the last couple of weeks, it has been put out there that he didn't want to play against uh, Chelsea at all. And according to What this, happens if they get drawn against Chelsea in the Cup, though? What's he going to do? Well, that's that's an issue, all right. Yeah, apparently, he was in demand with Swansea and Bournemouth, um, Bournemouth among the top-flight clubs to have courted his services, but he chose to move down a division 
And Clement says the indications he was given were that Terry did not want to face the prospect of playing against a club he spent 22 years with. So it could be a genuine... Surely one of the lower Premier League teams would welcome John Terry in for a season. No? Oh, I don't know. Would one of the lower Premier League managers welcome John Terry in for a season? <laughs> I mean, if you were Eddie Howe, you know, promising young coach, yeah, would you really want John Terry? Surely you would like to lean on all that experience, trophy-winning experience, mm. that big character, that big personality. Uh, well, it's Steve Bruce, isn't it? He's the Villa manager, so I guess uh, he's got plenty of experience to, to handle someone like JT, and maybe JT can pick up some tips for the top from Brucey. Good to have you back in. That's it for today's Report on Sport. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We wanted two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? No, I said, what I do. And that was it. We wanted two explosives. And I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved when I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, if I like. And you've used the figure there. Well done to you. All right, let's head over to Moscow to talk to Nick Ames, who's been covering the Confederations Cup. Nick, the standout discussion point seems to have been the introduction of video assistant referees, which has been a little bit bungled. Is football making a complete mess of this, do you think? I don't think there are two ways about it. I think it bordered on the first call at times. I mean, most recently, last night, when when Chile won the penalty in the second half, it was rightly not given. But there was still a, a big hoo-ha over whether there'd be VAR or not. There were, there were players gesturing to the referee for the VAR, which appears to me when you imagine a yellow card, I think, and people were rightly booked. And that's, that's one of, as you say, quite a number of high-profile incidents. What I would say is that, in a way, the mess it has turned into has almost justified the Confederations Cup's existence as a test event and a proving ground for all aspects of a World Cup, intentionally or not. Because I can't think of a better situation in which you can test this technology and, 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 and these new rules. Um, so they've got to learn the lessons. and really quickly got to learn them if we're going to see them next year, which I think there'll be a decision on in a few months' time. I think it's been a worthwhile exercise if a slightly messy one. What are the lessons going to be, do you think? Because, I mean, when I look at these uh, situations, I mean, we had one with Gonzalo Jara last night, and the main problem is that you don't have, well, in my, in my, uh, you know, from my perspective, the main problem is you don't have a clue what's going on or what's going into the decision. I mean, if you, you see these situations in rugby, uh, and you can hear the referee speaking to the video referees, and they're, you know, discussing what the what the thing is, and you you know what the basis for the decision is. At least, even if you disagree with the decision, you know why they've made the decision they've made. In football, there doesn't seem to be any of that transparency, and it's just a complete mess. A lot of the problem is there's never any reason given for the rationale. Even last night, sat there in the press box when Sanchez went over, wanted that penalty, and the game stopped for a while big screen in, in the stadium it flashed up video review but on our screens in, in the press box there, there was no such evidence of that and normally they show you the referee didn't actually make the video signal either and no one knew what on earth was happening 
And I think there needs to be, I think, some kind of stipulation as to the amount of time after a certain incident that it can be signaled for. Because often play has gone on for a minute or so, and I think that's just not right. Um, and, and also, the, the length, a delay can take, and I, I genuinely don't know the answer, but one thing is for sure, I think the genie is now out of the bottle, and you don't really put it back in, do you? Nick, how is the tournament as a, a whole in preparation for the tournament, particularly maybe the logistics of people who are going to be travelling around this country? I know you were in, um, you, you got around a little bit yourself. What's it going to be like for people for the World Cup next year? As a test event for that, the Confederations Cup went very well. I think it's, I think it's very important to bear in mind that the four cities that were presented to us were Moscow, St. Petersburg, Kazan and Sochi. And these four are, they're all world-class sporting venues. There's absolutely no doubt about it. The stadiums are great, apart from a few of all kinks in terms of traffic. And the only real issues have been a few access issues, maybe. And I think those will be ironed out in the next 10 or 11 months. They're all world-class venues. They know how to welcome international visitors. The cities, by and large, are very friendly. The bigger question is going to be in some of the other more, more, more far-flung cities, which where maybe the stadia are not finished yet, and that kind of thing. I went to a couple. I went to Saransk, and I went to Samara. And I have to say, having been to Saransk a few days ago in particular, which is a small city of two or 300,000, haven't got a really big football team there. The stadium is really nowhere near ready. There's not much in the way of infrastructure, bars, restaurants, that kind of thing. No one really speaks English, not many foreigners about. I think that's where the success of the tournament will be judged from an access point of view. There are a lot of cities in, in the centre of, of the cluster where the World Cup will be held that are all quite close to each other, that are really hard to get to. But if we're talking about purely the, the Confederations Cup, they did a very good job of a welcoming job. All right, Nick Ames in Moscow, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Apologies there if the line started sounding a little bit dodgy towards the end. Hopefully not a portent of things to come, Ken, yeah. <laughs> in Russia next year. No, well, that's, I guess that's, that was a phone line from the airport. Lots of people on the phone. Nothing, didn't say anything about the infrastructure, uh, underlying infrastructure. Um, or does it? Or, or does it? Another theme that we've <laughs> Russian <laughs> we infrastructure. We'll discuss over the next It's another podcast on Russian infrastructure. We already covered the doping investigation with Nick Harris last week. In case you missed that one and you're wondering why we haven't brought that up in the context of this conversation, it's... Uh, Another story we will cover more I'm sure, over the next 12 months yeah. if anything else happens there. Well, Russia are going to need to do something because this is just, you know, given, given that the 2018 World Cup is all about showing, um, you know, what a, what a great country Russia is these days. Uh, and by great, I mean great. I don't mean just good. I don't mean to use great in that, in that uh, superficial throwaway sense of, oh, that was amazing. I mean great. Uh, a great country cannot be represented by a fail a, a failing team of, of losers um, but it looks as though that's kind of what they're stuck with at the moment and it's very difficult to see how they can really magic it's not like you know let's let's get a rowing team together you know if Russia set their sights on winning all the rowing medals at the next Olympics in Tokyo I think they could pull it off I think they could definitely do that track cycling perhaps track cycling I think they could also do that. Uh, getting out of a World Cup group, 
they're going to need to get creative <laughs> uh, by the by the looks of uh, what they've served up at this tournament. Hit it, please. I've got a call here. It says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God, that's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Real piece of scum this week. This is the kind of thing you'd pick up off the sole of your boots. Dobby O'Leary is the that gentleman's name. Kevin. Dobby? Dobby. Dobby. D-A-I-B-H-I. Okay. I've lost the fathers in translation. I've taken his name from an email, placed it into a document here, Ken, but we're, we're digressing at this point. Mm-hmm. Dobby O'Leary is emailed editor at secondcaptains.com. He says, lads, it's not an event which would get huge media attention, but the World 24-Hour Championships in running was held in Belfast over the weekend. I'd just like to thank you guys since while covering 100 miles in the open race held in conjunction with the World Championships, I spent 12 hours straight listening to the Second Captain's World Service podcasts to help get me through it, which must be in itself some kind of record. I would say it certainly is, Dobby. The race consisted of running or walking around the one-mile loop of Victoria Park, the aim being to cover as much distance as possible. The men's race was won by Japan's Yoshihiko Ishikawa, who ran an amazing 166 miles in 24 hours, 267.5 Ks. 166 miles in 24 hours. While Poland's Patricia Beretznowska broke her own record in running over 160 miles, 258 kilometers, to win the women's race. You could do worse than interview Owen Keith, who broke his own Irish record in finishing 17th, covering over 150 miles. And just two months ago, as a warm-up for this race, he ran from uh, Mizzen to Malinhead, where his time of three days and three hours smashed the previous record by 11 hours. As a fellow runner, Owen McDevitt, you may pick up some tips. Cheers, from Davi O'Leary's. I've got the fathers back. There's one in the A and one in the I. Which takes more stamina, do you think, Ken? Listening to us for 12 hours or running the 24? They're make, making different kinds of demands. If I had to, if I, if I was told I had to do one, I'd probably choose to listen. I'm not sure, yeah, would you? 12 hours of us? 166 miles. It's a lot of Second Captain's podcasts. 24, well, I, I'm not, I'm, I probably wouldn't be in the, in the three-digit uh, mile yeah. uh, outcome, twenty-four hours. But for, but just moving, just just being awake for twenty-four hours is <laughs> yeah. pretty challenging. I've calculated here. So Yoshikiwa Ishikawa ran what do you say, one hundred and sixty-six miles? Yeah. So that's twenty-four hours. We're talking about almost seven miles per hour. Mm. I, I'm working it out here at about eight points. Not about exactly eight point six seven five minutes per mile, mm. which is not great. Is it not great? Well, my own marathon pace is. My personal best can is just a, a smidgen faster than that, around eight and a half minutes per mile, right? Mm. So I can go r- to a roughly similar pace to this guy for three hours. And last three, nearly th- four hours. Nearly, yeah, nearly four hours. And then I'll just leave him to his own devices for the last 20 yeah. hours. He can just keep running around that loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be happy enough. Happy enough There's some, some great athletes out there, aren't Yeah, there are. <laughs> and most of them aren't me. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you again during the week. That's the second time he's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.